I vow it's not seemly, neither. The Queen's dead but this half-hour, and by God our own heads are loose on our shoulders. My lord's in the right, sir. It's no laughing matter, says Harry. I, he's all noble feeling, the pretender shrugged. Come on, sir, in God's name, Masham groaned. Look you, thus it goes. I'll bring you within sight of the garden entry. Then you make to go out, Mr. Boyce, with what parade you can. And you, sir, I'll take you to the head of the back stairs. You have but to go straight down and out, and I wish you Godspeed with all my heart. Come, come. They marched along the corridor, and must needs pass the end of that which led to the Queen's apartments. Masham was a little ahead of the others. He passed the corner. Then he checked, and he turned sharp about and charged back at them, crowding them against the wall, trying to stand in front of both of them and hide them. It was Marlborough who alarmed my lord, Marlborough who came, alone, pacing slowly from the room where the queen lay dead. No dismay, no emotion, troubled his supreme grace. He disdained his splendours and his beauty with the wanted calm. He saw them, could not but see them, huddled together as they were, and striving not to be seen. His face betrayed nothing. He paced slowly up to them. It seemed to Harry that, from the first, his placid eyes looked at none of them but the pretender. "'We have met before, sir, I think,' he said gently. "'On the field of battle,' says the pretender in French. Marlborough bowed. "'Give me your company. Oh, your family has always been too kind to mine.' Marlborough pointed the way. The pretender shrugged, and enfin, says he with a bitter laugh, and marched on with an air. Masham, leaning against the wall, and very white, muttered to himself, "'My God! My God!' Harry ran forward to look after them. He saw Marlborough glance over the pretender's shabby clothes, and then, making some ostentation of it, put on his hat. The pretender, with a stare of disdain, put on his, or Harry's. They came to the head of the grand staircase, and went down. The servants in the hall sprang up, and ran to open the doors for his grace. Harry heard a din and a clang, and saw a flash of steel as the guards outside presented arms. The two passed out and out of sight. For a little while the servants stood staring after them, and then came back to their chairs whispering. Harry turned round to Masham. What now? Now? Masham stared. Now we may go hang ourselves. Like Judas? Damn, I don't feel the obligation, do you, my lord? Masham swore at him and began to walk off. Can you lend me a humbler coat, my lord? Harry cried. I am no more use in this. I'll do no more in it, Masham growled. Look to yourself. Enfin, as his majesty says, quoth Harry with a laugh, and went on to look for the garden entry or any other humble door. He found it soon enough, and was gone through it, to be instantly beset by a sergeant's party, and a joyful shout 
Odzo, tis himself, tis the Chevalier. You flatter me, says Harry, and they marched him off. Chapter 26 Revelations Harry was kept a long time in the guard-room. Once or twice an officer came in and looked him over, but he was asked no question, and he asked none. He was ill at ease, not, I believe, from any fear for himself. He knew, indeed, that he might hang for his pains. What he had done for the pretender was surely treason, or would be adjudged treason, with the Whigs in power and the Hanoverian king. But death seemed no great matter. He was not a romantic hero. He had no faith, no cause to die for, and he saw the last scene as a mere horror of pain and shame. Only it must be some relief to come to the end. For he was beset by a hopeless, reckless distrust of himself. Everything that he did must needs go awry. He was born for failure and ignominy. Memories of his wild delight in Alison came stabbing at his heart, and he fought against them, and again they opened the wounds. Yes, for a little while he had been given the full zest of life, all the wonder and the glory, that he might know what it was to live maimed and starving. It was his own fault, Faith. He should never have dared venture for her, he a dull, blundering, graceless fool. How should he content her? Oh, forget her, forget all that and have done. She would be free of him soon, and so best. Best for himself, too. It was a dreary affair, this struggling from failure to failure. Whatever he put his hand to must needs go awry, save the pretender from the chance of a fight and deliver him into the hands of Marlborough. Marlborough, who would send him to the scaffold with the noblest air in the world. Why, but for that silly meddling at Kensington, the lad might have won free. Now he and his cause must die together before a jeering mob. So much for the endeavours of Mr. Harry Boyce to be a man of honour. Mr. Harry Boyce should have stayed in his garret with his small beer and his rind of cheese. He was fit for nothing better, born to be a servitor, an usher, and he must needs claim Alison Lambourne for his desires and rifle her beauty. Oh, it was good to make an end of life, if only he could forget her, forget her as she lay in his arms. The door opened. The guard was beckoning to him. He was marched to a room in which one man sat at a table, a small man of a lean, sharp face. Unbidden, Harry flung himself into a chair. He must have been a ridiculous figure, overwhelmed by the black wig and the rich clothes too big for him. The sharp face opposite stared at him in contemptuous disgust. "'Your name?' "'La, you now,' Harry laughed. "'I don't know you neither, and egad I can do without.' "'I am the Earl of Sunderland. "'Then, damn, I am sorry for you. "'Your name, I say? "'Why didn't your fellows tell you? "'They told me. "'Impudence will not serve you. "'I warn you. 
the one chance to save yourself is to be honest with me harry began to hum a song and between the bars he said you may go to the devil i care not a curse for anything you can do so think of your dignity my lord and hold your silly tongue sunderland considered him keenly a secretary came in and whispered i will see him sunderland said and lay back in his chair it was colonel boyce who broke in colonel boyce something flushed and out of breath egad my lord he began sunderland held up his hand colonel boyce checked and stood staring at his son harry began to laugh oh sir you're infinitely welcome it only needed you to complete my happiness odds life sirrah colonel boyce advanced upon him are you crazy what damned folly is this you know him then says sunderland oh my lord it's a wise father knows his own son and he is not wise you know are you most reverend no faith or you would never have begot me no faith nor enlist me to do murder neither for i do but bungle it you see and make a fool of my lord sunderland god bless him is he mad says sunderland i profess i begin to think so colonel boyce frowned lord harry stop your ranting what brought you here you sir you your faithful striving to do my lord sunderland's murders for him imprimis that work of grace but finally some good soldiers who assured me i was the man my lord wanted to murder you came here with the pretender harry laughed and began to sing a catch tis nothing to you if i should do so and if nothing in it you find then thank me for nothing and that will be more than i ever designed what a pox are you doing in his clothes sirrah colonel boyce cried faith i try to keep them on me which is more difficult than you suppose if i were to stand up in a hurry my lord we should all be shamed the lad is an idiot said sunderland with a shrug come harry you have fooled it long enough i had a guess of this mad fancy of yours but the game is up now lad king george is king to-day and his friends have all power in their grip there's no more hope for your jacobites tell me now the pretender is in your clothes i see where did you part from him why don't you know harry stared at him oh faith that's bitter for you you who always know everything and your friends with all power in their grip oh my dear lord i wonder if there's those 